Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you guys. So glad you're here this morning. And we are real excited about this weekend, the booths out in the foyer, incredible small groups that we're having. So just really great. Let's give our small group leaders a hand. Our small group leaders are killing it. They're doing an amazing job. So grateful for what they're doing and just very thankful for their whole thing. Uh, One of the groups that I'm like kind of overseeing and helping with is the uh, outdoor experience. That's where we greet each other from uh, in the parking lot. We got people in the parking lot. I took some pictures last weekend, I think, of some people doing that. I mean, if we have some pictures of the outdoor experience, do we have that? Yep. There's Harvey there waving to everybody as they come in. Uh, and then we have a few others. There's, uh, there's an incredible young man greeting everybody. And uh, I like this father and son team. Isn't that cool? So I love that. So if you're interested in that department, that's a great thing to do. And all the small groups are really, really doing well. My small group, I'm giving out little, uh, little uh, candy corn things. for you know, If you like those, you know, that's a little bribe there. But, you know, I'm just completely outclassed out there. People have got like Ferris wheels and, and I- homemade ice cream and... I'm like, but anyhow, it's really, really cool to see what's happening. Well, we're glad you're here this morning, and uh, last week we talked about uh, importance of, this whole series is about the core, the core values of Bayshore, what our values are as a church, and we said that the values of a church, or any organization for that matter, is what guides them toward their main objective. So our values, you know, first week we talked about the importance of relationships. We, our, our main objective in uh, what we do here at Bayshore is for us to invite people to come to church that don't know Jesus and then help them to grow in their faith so they become like Jesus. So that's the bottom line. That's our objective. And everything we do points toward that objective. And relationships as, uh, that, we, we, that we have are, are helping to do that in our small groups. Last week we talked about the importance of financial commitment uh, to underscore that vision. What we do here at Bayshore, we do with excellence. And so your giving and your financial commitment to Bayshore is such an incredible piece to that. And people at Bayshore that really uh, embrace the vision of Bayshore are people that love the vision and support it financially. And we talked last week about the incredible principle of the difference between stewardship uh, and ownership. Ownership, if you feel like everything you have is yours, you've worked for it and you're the, you're the guy, you've done it, uh, then you're, you have a high resistance to giving. But when you have a, a transformation in your thinking where you are a steward, then there's low resistance toward giving. So how, how do you give at Bayshore? You can give through the baskets that come by. You can give in the, in the uh, giving box in the back. You can give on the church app. A lot of people give on the church app. People give online. But two things are important about giving here at Bayshore. The first thing is that you're a systematic giver. You systematically give. Uh, you don't just give out of inspiration, but you just, it's part of your life. It's like brushing your teeth and flossing. I mean, you just kind of, you give uh, that way. And the other word that's important, first word is systematic. The second word is, is percentage, a percentage giver. That you, you determine some percentage where you make yourself a percentage giver. And that's very, very important in Bayshore. Karen and I are percentage givers. We 
We give 10% of our income to support the ministry here at Bayshore. The model in the Old Testament, and I say model, we don't use it as a, as a legal thing and bang people over the head, but the model seems to be throughout the Bible is the 10% is a great model. And so that's what Karen and I try to do. And many people at our church do that as well, as well as people on our board of directors that, that kind of oversee the money here. So we talked about that last week. This morning we're going to talk about one of the things that's really close to my heart and one of the great values of our church, and that is love of Scripture, love of Scripture. And we're talking today about the power of the Bible to make us like Jesus, the power of the Bible to make us like Jesus. So here's one of the passions we have, and this is a high value at Bayshore. High value is that we love Scripture. We love the Bible. We love the Bible and care about the Bible. I've always loved the Bible. Uh, I, was, I became a Christian when I was 12 years old, and I grew up, you know, in a church and was walking with Jesus and trying to walk with Jesus. So when I went to high school, one of the things that I did in high school to kind of like buttress my faith, as long, along with people that I knew that I was in good relationship with that knew Jesus, my buddies and friends, um, is I took my Bible to school every day took my Bible to school every day. It was a green Bible. I put it on top of my algebra book, and I carried it down the hallway, and I did that for a couple of reasons. One of the things is it, it helped define me uh, in my high school class, and uh, everybody said, hey, why are you carrying a Bible around? But I carried it every day, and, and so what it did for me is it made me behave myself because I had a Bible there. And the second thing it made me do is it gave me daily conversations. It was a conversation piece. Why do you bring your Bible to school? And so I got to talk to uh, my friends about Jesus. And some of my friends did not become Christians in high school, but later became Christians. And uh, in fact, uh, when my class reunion a couple years ago, we had our 40th class reunion, the class president called me and said, uh, Danny, would you come and do a service in front of the high school uh, for uh, people in our class that are deceased? We've lost, we lost 25 people in our class after 40 years. And so they wanted to have a memorial service. So my class gathered there, and I was sort of the, uh, the, the chosen uh, uh, class chaplain. So I got up, and I got to talk to my friends about Jesus, and I gave them comfort about the people we've lost. And it was incredible service, and they all listened to me respectfully. And uh, some of those people used to make fun of me, and I was a Jesus freak and all that. And uh, now they're standing there, you know, with their canes, and they're old, you know, and they're looking at me. And a whole different view. And after we did the memorial service, we went uh, and did a tour of the high school, and we're walking up on the second floor, and I'm walking next to uh, David Smith, who was the, sort of the class president, and David Crimmins, who was a great athlete in our class, and we're walking down the hallway, and they said, Danny, do you still have that green Bible? Do you still have that green Bible? I said, I absolutely do. I have that green Bible. And so I'm defined, was defined in high school as the guy who loved the Bible and kept the Bible with me. So I believe that the Bible is, I just love the Bible, have always loved the Bible. And at our church, we're going to really feature the Bible as the way to get to know Jesus better. Very, very important part. Now, here's, here's, you've heard me say this. I have a real passion for the church because I feel like the modern church, and we're all about modern stuff and lights and we even have smoke machines, and we got all that stuff. Well, I'm all about modern stuff. But one of my concerns about the modern church is the modern church is becoming so, so weak in Bible understanding. We, just, we, have, a, we have thematic sermons, you know, you engage people with relevant stuff. And I know how to do that. Uh, I'm not bra- bragging, but I can do that. I know how to do the relevant message and put a few scriptures in there. But the downside to that is that we are becoming a biblically illiterate people, not in the world, but in the church. 
We don't know the Bible. People do not know the Bible. I guarantee you the Jehovah's Witnesses, Witness that knocks on your door knows more about the Bible and more about their faith than most evangelical Christians because we are just not doing a good job with that. So I read this, and I read this to you not too long ago. Did you know that fewer than half of Americans, fewer than half Americans can name the four Gospels? Fewer than half Americans, if you asked them on the street, if you went to Walmart and said, could you name the first four Gospels of the New Testament? Fewer than half of the Americans can do that. Now, how many of you can do that? You can do that. You know Matthew. What comes next? What comes next? What comes next? Okay, so you are above average. I knew that to start with. You guys are above average. But generally speaking, in America, people don't even know the basics. Uh, uh, many Christians cannot identify more than two or three disciples. Now, that gets a little more tricky because some of the disciples have multiple names. You know, we all know Peter, James, and John. You know, that's, that's easy. There's three of them. But then Matthew is sometimes called Levi. You've got Simon the Zealot. You've got a couple Judases in there. You've got a couple Jameses, Jameses in there. So if you just say James, you get two. And if you say Judas, you get two. So, you know, just say James and Judas, you're already above average, you know. But, you know, people don't know that. Listen to this. 60% of Americans, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. 60% of Americans cannot even name five of the Ten Commandments. That's really interesting. Now, this is really interesting. According to uh, surveys, 82% of Americans believe that the Bible says God helps them that help themselves. 82% of Americans believe that the Bible says God helps them that helps themselves. That is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. Maybe the principle's there, but that is not in the Bible. You know who said that? Benjamin Franklin said that. Benjamin Franklin and poor Richard Almanac. And uh, I was remember when I was working, when I was in college, I was working uh, on this job, this construction job, and this guy was telling me his favorite verse in the Bible was, God helps them that helps themselves. He loved that verse. And I, you know, said to him kindly, that's not in the Bible. He said, absolutely, that's in the Bible. So anyhow, no need to argue with an idiot. But anyhow, I just... Uh, <laughs> Majority of Americans, adults, think that the Bible teaches the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. And that's really a good principle in the Bible, you know, uh, that's important. But that's not the main message of the Bible. Uh, listen to this, 12% of, Amer- 12% of adults believe that Jonah Ark was Noah's wife. <laughs> oh, that's really funny right there. That is funny. Graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. So we got, we got a long ways to go. So that's, that's really a burden I have. I have a real burden that we are not teaching the Bible in church and... I believe, I used to have a sign in our old building that said, making the Bible relevant for the 90s, back in the 90s. And uh, it's just, it's sort of a crazy thing to even put that on the wall because the Bible is extremely relevant. If you just preach it and teach it what it says, it's going to touch on all the hot subjects. And that's very, very important. So that's one of the values we have here. When you think about Bayshore, uh, think about Bayshore this way. We are a church that highly values the Bible. We believe in Scripture. We believe Scripture is ordained and inspired by the Lord. It says in the book of uh, uh, Timothy that, uh, that God breathed into the Scriptures and made the Scriptures life. In fact, the word inspiration, the inspiration of Scripture, the word inspiration means to breathe into. God breathed the Word into life. And so I just love, love the scriptures. Now, here's what's happening in culture. In culture. 
culture, uh, here's what's happening. Uh, we have cultural values uh, that are at odds with biblical values. Uh, cultural values, cultural mores uh, in, in battle with biblical values. Now think about an arm wrestling match. An arm wrestling match. Jody Renroe, who uh, is on staff, Jody loves to arm wrestle. Think about uh, cultural values rests arm wrestling with biblical values. In most modern denominational churches, cultural values are winning the arm wrestling match. I had a pastor come in this week to talk to me from a major denomination. He said to me, he said, um, I've been in the ministry for 50 years, and he named the denomination, and he said, it breaks my heart. He said, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the cross. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I preach the Bible. He said, but my denomination has walked away from the Scripture. And he was literally tears in his eyes. His heart was broken because the church that he's been associated with for 50 years that he's ordained under, that he's served multiple churches in, he says, has abandoned in scripture. The Bashor is not going to allow uh, cultural values to beat uh, the biblical values. Biblical values here will always win the arm wrestling match against cultural values. So that's an important thing that we need to remember. There's a great story in the book of, uh, in the book of Kings, and it's a story about this famous king by the name of Josiah. Josiah 2 Kings chapter 22, Josiah was a, a king who re, was a reforming king. His grandfather was Manassas, the most wicked king uh, that, that Judah had ever known. And his father was Ammon, who was another wicked king. But this young man by the name of Josiah was a reformer. He was a reformer. He wanted to change society. He wanted to change Israel. And it says in... Uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, that he was renovating the temple and they discovered and found the, the law that had been lost. And in fact, uh, his, his administrator uh, came to him and he said, they found the book of the law and they had lost the book of the law. And so his administrator came and as they were renovating the temple, they found the book that was lost And here's what I believe. I believe the book has been lost in our generation. I believe the Bible has been lost in our churches. I believe the Bible has been lost in America. And they found the book of the law, and they read read it, and it was so convicting to King Josiah that he rent his garments, and he wanted teaching to understand what the book meant. And here's what's interesting to me. They were having services in the temple. They were having services, but they had lost the law, and the law was not a part of their services. You can have services and the Bible not be a part of what you're doing at all. And so that's one of the big burdens I have here at Bayshore. So let's talk about the Bible a little bit this morning. First of all, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that we have a Bible. How many have a Bible? You own a Bible. Raise your hand. How many have more than one Bible? Raise your hand. How many have a Bible on your smartphone? You got a Bible. You got the U, U version. If you don't have the U version on your smartphone, you got to get it. I use it all the time. Um, but do you realize it's a privilege that you have a Bible? Because if you understand the history of the Bible, and that's one of my big passions. I love to read about how we got the Bible, how it, was, how it was transmitted, how it was copied, how it got here. One of the things that's really interesting is for a big part of history, uh, people didn't have a Bible. Because, uh, first of all, it was incredibly expensive. Because before the printing press came along, and before Gutenberg invented the, uh, the movable type printing press, uh, the Bible had to be copied by hand. 
And it, many times it's recorded on vellum, which was, uh, you know, leather that they had to kill a lot of cattle to make the vellum to write the scriptures on. And there was one Bible, like in the Middle Ages, that you go to the church, there was one Bible in the community. And it was chained to the pulpit. And then when the printing press was invented and the Reformation started, all of a sudden Bibles became, uh, you know, became available to people and people began to be able to get a hold of Bibles. And so when I think about the fact that we have such close proximity to the Bible, it's a very, very interesting season in history that we're able to, to have the Bible today and use the Bible and love the Bible because it's, it, there was many, many times that they couldn't do it. There's a guy named William Tyndale, William Tyndale in 1530. Uh, the Bible, by the way, it, the, when it was in the Middle Ages, the problem was, uh, was number one, a circulation problem. Nobody had a Bible, just one Bible in the church. Uh, the other problem was a translation problem. It was written in Latin. It was the Vulgate version that had been translated in the 4th century. So the Bible was not in their language. And there was a guy named William Tyndale in 1530. William Tyndale said he believed that everybody should be able to be, read the Bible. And that was controversial because if you can keep people ignorant, you can control them. And so the institutional church wanted people not to know the Bible because if you have ignorant people, you can control them with your superstitions. So William Tyndale, he said, I believe that the man, the little boy who walks behind the plow on the farm should know as much scripture as the priest in the, in the, in the cathedral. And so he translated the Bible into English and he was burned at the stake because of that, because he made the Bible available to us in English. And uh, later on, the King James Version came along, and many of those versions, the King James Versions and a few that came up to that, uh, were based on William Tyndale's work, uh, even though King Henry VIII had had him burned at the stake. So the Bible is a privilege. When I was in Russia, I went to Russia with some people from our church many years ago. When I went to Russia, uh, you know, I preached at this crusade with people from our church that led worship, and I preached, and 500 people got saved one night. It's not because I'm a good preacher and I'm an evangelist. I'm not like Billy Graham, you know, if you wait for a bus, they'll, you know, if you came in a bus, they'll wait for you. I'm not that guy, you know, but I, there was just such a hunger for the Lord. Anybody could preach about Jesus, they'd get saved. So 500 people came forward in this cultural hall and received the Lord. And uh, they had been deprived about Jesus. And when the communist thing kind of came apart, Christians could go in and preach. And so we went and preached. And I remember one night after preaching and hundreds of people come to the Lord, we're giving out Bibles. We have these boxes of Bible. There's a, there's a concert pit on the stage there. And I'm standing on the other side of the concert pit. And I've got a box. And people from our church on the other side have boxes. And we're giving out Bibles. And this old man, this old Russian man, he must have been 79 years old. He came up to me in line, and he took the Bible, and he had big wrinkles on his face, and tears were coming down his face. He just met Jesus, and he got his first Bible about 79 or 80 years old, and he took that Bible, and he kissed it because it's the very first time he ever had a Bible. So I think about how, how uh, sort of we don't really understand the value of actually having a Bible. Having a Bible and being able to stand in church and preach the Bible is something William Tyndale couldn't do. It's something that John Huss from Bohemia couldn't do. He was burned at the stake. People in those days who preached the Bible and preached it in the natural vernacular of the, of the language of the people were severely persecuted. And here we are now, we have the privilege of that. So having the Bible is a privilege. So when you have the Bible and you open it up in the morning like I did yesterday morning, 
I read two chapters in the Old Testament, two chapters in the New Testament, and I read Proverbs. That's what I read. Two chapters in the Old Testament. I'm in 1 Samuel right now, and I read my Proverb, and yesterday was what, the 14th? And so I read the 14th chapter of, of Proverbs yesterday, and I read, I'm reading the book of John now. So two chapters in John, two chapters in the 1 Samuel, and in my own language. It's an incredible privilege. So that's a really, really incredible thing. So let's... Let's talk about the Bible. The Bible, it's owning it is a privilege. Say, owning the Bible is a privilege. Now, the Bible is useful and practical. That's one of the reasons I love the Bible. And that's one of the things we try to do here. We try to teach the Bible in a useful way so that people understand what it says. We make it clear. We make it understandable. We explain what it means. We help people with application so they can use it in their daily life. We want to preach the Bible in such a way here at Bayshore so you can take the word in and you can use it in a practical way. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a verse of Scripture about Scripture, and it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the word for inspiration. The Scripture is God-breathed. God breathed life into the Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible is useful. It's practical. It helps you. It helps us to raise our kids better. There's a lot in the Bible about how to be good parents. It helps us to know how to live our daily life, how to conduct business. It helps, it helps us with our anxieties. It helps us with our depression. It helps us with all the issues of life. It helps us with every single thing in life. In fact, this week when I was reading Proverbs, I just, this practical thing, the, the Bible, when I read the Bible and when we teach the Bible, it gives us an advantage in life. When you, when you teach the Bible, it doesn't put a burden on you, but it gives you an advantage in life. It gives you practical knowledge. It helps you with relationships. This week, one of my favorite verses I read in Proverbs is Proverbs eleven seventeen. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. I thought, boy, what a wise thing. If I'm kind to people, it's going to benefit me. It's going to make my life better. So the Bible is incredibly practical and useful. If you're not reading Proverbs, you read it Proverbs every single day. You can start today. You read Proverbs 15 today. Read Proverbs 16 on Monday. Read Pro- Proverbs will help you with your temper, with your anger. It'll help you with your lust. If you've ever struggled with lust, there's, there's two or three major chapters in Proverbs about dealing with lust and adultery. And uh, from what I can gauge in culture, that's an issue for people still. And so we have those kind of things. So it's very practical things. So the Bible is extremely useful and practical and gives us the kind of thing that we need. It helps us to manage our money. Uh, money, Dave Ramsey, everything Dave Ramsey gets, he gets from the Bible. So it helps you. The Bible is practical. Uh, when Karen and I were first married, her mom and dad, at Christmas time, they always uh, got us, um, got me and, and the other son-in-laws particularly always gave, gave us something practical. They weren't into frilly gifts. They wanted to give us something practical. One year for Christmas, um, uh, we're in the den there, and the Christmas presents are everywhere, and there was a long box with my name on it. And I got excited about a long box with my name on it. And uh, I'm always excited about my gifts, what I'm going to get. And so there was a long box with my name on it, and I opened the box, and it was one of these, these limb cutters. And uh, it was uh, 35 years ago I got this. And uh, you know what? This is like the best gift I've ever got. 
I use this everywhere I've lived. I've used this. This thing can cut down a redwood tree. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and I thought about how Pratt, 35 years ago, it is the most practical gift I've ever received. I used it a couple weeks ago. I was trimming up my crepe myrtles and my uh, oak trees in the backyard had gotten long and so it's got an extension on it and I'm just like whacking on that, pulling that and it's just incredible. The Bible is like this. The Bible is practical. It will help you be a better parent. It'll help you be a better businessman. It'll help you be a better husband. It'll help you with your emotions and the Bible is extremely practical. Say it with me. The Bible is useful and practical. So we teach the Bible here in a way that it's useful and practical. And uh, we always get incredible comments from people that say, you know, wow, I've been to church for different times. I never understood what it was about. And so what we're trying to do here, when you invite your friends to come to Bayshore with you, you know, I don't know what the sermon's going to be about that week, but I can guarantee you what we're going to try to do is to make your friend understand what the Bible really says and then help them to know what to do with it when they leave. So it can help them in their, in their daily life. So the Bible is useful. It's a privilege to have the Bible. And here's, here's this one. The Bible is controversial. The Bible is controversial. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to put a man against his, his brother. I came to divide a husband and wife. The Bible is incredibly controversial. And this is why the modern church is walking away from the Bible because we don't want any controversy. And let me tell you something. You cannot be an authentic, Christ-following Christian without being controversial. Drew Brees just said, you know, on, how many know who Drew Brees is? He's a quarterback, a little, little short guy, you know, about that tall. A little short guy plays for the, uh, what's it, New England, or the Saints, the New Orleans Saints. He recently got... Uh, did this public video encouraging kids to take their Bible to school in October. Encouraging kids to take their Bible to school in October. This one day is October 10th. It was associated, that particular day associated with focus on the family. And there was this incredible reaction to Drew Brees asking kids to take their Bible to school because that particular day was associated with focus on the family, which was considered to be anti-gay you know, gay and all that. And so there was this big controversy. And that is just that little thing. Take your Bible to school created this big controversy. Let me tell you something. That's not going to get less. That's going to get more in the future. We're going to see more and more of that. And uh, the church has got to be careful that we don't cave to that and try to keep peace with everybody. We want to love everybody, care about everybody. But let me tell you something. You should never sacrifice truth on the altar of love. You should never sacrifice truth on the altar of love and tolerance. Because, listen, is love the most important thing? A lot of people would say love is the most important thing. I would disagree. I would say that love and truth are equally important. You've got to be filled with love. You've got to be filled with grace. You've got to be filled with with compassion for people. But we cannot divorce ourselves from truth. And truth and love, it says in the book of Psalms, mercy and faithfulness have kissed each other. They're not to be enemies, but they're to be uh, co-partners. And so truth and love. So Bayshore is committed to be people of love, but also people of truth. And you should never sacrifice truth on the altar of love. It's very, very important to remember that. So 
Uh, we've got this quote by Tim Keller. Did you get that quote by Tim Keller I put uh, together? Uh, here's what Tim Keller. Tim Keller is pastored in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He's just retired a while back. Uh, Tim Keller is like one of my heroes. I've been to his church. I know uh, some of the members of our congregation have been to Tim Keller's church as well in New York City. Five or six locations in, in Manhattan. And uh, he's, he's, he preaches to the culture. He's very biblical. And uh, Tim Keller says this, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information but in a such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. I think there's more. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to rest, to the rest in God's mercy and grace. So there has to be, there has to be a blending of truth and grace. Most denominational churches, I'm not, I'm not saying all denominational churches, most mainline denominational churches, because of incredible cultural pressure, cultural pressure are opting for only love and acceptance without truth and love and truth must go together. Say it with me. Love and truth, love and truth. must go together. So the Bible, when we say, oh, we're going to preach the Bible, we're going to preach the Bible, oh, that sounds great. But it's going to be controversial because the Bible is very, very controversial. Where is it the most controversial in our day? Oh, absolutely. We know where it is. Where is it the most controversial in our day? It's controversial about human sexuality. Incredibly controversial about human sexuality. It's incredibly controversial about that. Now, let me just say this, and I'm just going to say this, and, you know, and uh, just want to say this in love. First of all, I want to say this. I'm going to say this right here. Here we go. I'm really going to say it. Here we go. Listen, the Bible is not, amb- it's not, it, it's not the least bit ambivalent about human sexuality. It is not. I, I said one time, I'm not sure that Jesus ever controver- uh, con- comment- commented on homosexuality. And I was absolutely wrong when I said that. Because when, when I thought about it more, what I discovered was, is when Jesus was asked about divorce, his answer was, it was not so from the beginning, but in the beginning, God made them male and female, and for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother. And so Jesus uniformly said that the, the nature of human sexuality is between a man and a woman, and the Bible is not ambivalent about that, and we can't be ambivalent about it either. We have to be filled with love. We have to be compassionate and merciful. But at the end of the day, we cannot sacrifice truth on the altar of love, and there is no ambivalence at all in the Bible about that, zero. They say, Pastor Danny, you are completely misinformed. You're completely misinformed because don't you know that people that have a same-sex you know, relationship, that they were born that way. Don't you know that? Where have you been? Haven't you listened to the paper? Let me ask you. I have two things to say about that. In fact, I have a whole series that I did about four years ago on this called Love Wins, and I did this in detail. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about it. I have two things to say about that. Here it is. First of all, where is the scientific evidence that has discovered the gay gene? Where is that? Here's the, th- here's the thing. When you told something over and over and over and over again, you hear it and you hear it, you think it's true even if it's not true. 
So that's the thing. There is no scientific breakthrough. Nobody's getting on TV. Scientific breakthrough. We have discovered the gay gene. It is simply not there. Now, the second thing I would say about that is that, yes, we are. People are born perverted. But the thing is, everybody's born perverted. The Bible says we have a sin nature. Just turn your nature right now and say, you're a pervert. Just say it to him right now. You are a pervert. Because the Bible says we're filled with lust. We're filled with sin. We are all sexually goofed up. When I was born with my sin nature, I'm sexually goofed up. It does not give me permission to follow my perversion. Because I have a perverted heart that Christ had to save. And Christ had to change. So the bottom line is, born that way, well, join the club. We're all born that way. We all have issues. So, and just want you to know... That there's nobody, there's no, there's not one. Uh, and here's the problem in America here. The real problem here is, is nobody is allowed to say and love the truth. And we are going to be committed. And you'll hear this every 40 or every 50 sermons. It doesn't come up that often. But when it comes up, we're going to be committed to the truth because we will never sacrifice truth on the altar of love. And I want you to know that that's very, very important for us. And it's very important. And people in our culture are hungry for that. They're hungry for pastors to stand up on their own two feet, preach the Bible in a loving way, and to be committed to it. And that's one of the things we're supposed to do. Let me just, uh, while, I'm, while I'm in hot water, let me just keep going here. Let me get a little further into this. I did a wedding yesterday. It was so wonderful. Uh, as Tommy Monroe. Uh, this is the Monroe's that come to church here, Tommy, and he married Abby Genshaw. Abby's the mayor's daughter in Seaford, and I know what you're all thinking. How did Tommy get such a beautiful bride? I, I mean, that's one of the big questions there. I did this wedding. Here's, here's what's really cool about this. Really, really cool about this. They're not living together. They weren't living together before this wedding. Tommy has his own place. They got married yesterday. They were gaga about each other. And you know what? They're going on a honeymoon, and then they're moving in together. I thought, man, I'm going to get a picture of this. I don't see this very often. Here's a guy who loves Jesus. He's trying to be pure. He's got a gorgeous gal. He's, she, you know, they're trying to be pure, and, uh, and they didn't live together, and they're walking with Jesus. They got married, and they didn't stay around long for the, honey, or for the reception. I don't know what was going on there, but anyhow. <laughs> but they were... Uh, I just love it. I had a young uh, girl come to see me, and she said she was looking for guidance, a college girl in our congregation, and uh, she, we, she's trying to make some life decisions. And uh, I just, just thought the world over. She's such a sweet girl. She loved Jesus and became a Christian. And, and she's asking me all these questions about how to make decisions, and we're getting ready, getting ready to wrap up the meeting. And she said, Pastor Danny, is it okay if I, I mean, I, she said, I don't know. Am I, am I, am I, am I, can I go on trips with my boyfriend and can I sleep with my boyfriend? Is that, you know, is that something that's allowed in Scripture? And I looked at her with compassion. I said, you know, you know what? Jesus, Jesus wants to be Lord of every part of your life. And marriage, sexuality is something that God created. It's like communion. It's the, it's the basis of a covenant that you make. And we take communion uh, in the church because we made a covenant with Jesus. And you have sex because you have a covenant with a person that's committed to you. 
And uh, we talked about that for a while and how hard that was for her to grasp. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that, uh, you know, that we should, the marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. And let me, let me read us something to you here. I, I read this. Somebody uh, found this this week. John invited his mother over for dinner. During the meal, his mother couldn't help noticing how beautiful John's roommate Julie was. She had long been suspicious of her relationship between John and his roommate, and this only made her more curious. Over the course of the evening, while watching the two interact, she started to wonder if there was more between John and his roommate than met the eye. Reading his mom's thought, John volunteered, I know what you must be thinking, but I assure you, Julie and I are just roommates. About a week later, Julie came to John and said, Ever since your mother came for dinner, I can't find the beautiful silver gravy ladle. You don't suppose your mom took it, do you? John said, well, I doubt it, but I'll write her a letter just to be sure. So he sat down and wrote, Dear Mother, I'm not saying you did take the gravy ladle from her house, and I'm not saying that you did not take the gravy ladle, but the fact remains that one has been missing ever since you were here for dinner. Several days later, John received a letter from his mother which said, Dear Son, I'm not saying you do sleep with Julie, and I'm not saying that you do not sleep with Julie, but the fact remains that if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the gravy ladle by now. Okay, there we go. The Bible is controversial. The Bible is convicting. The Bible, it says, is like a two-edged sword. It penetrates our heart. And if the Bible doesn't make us squirm, we're not reading it right. And it's an incredible thing. Last thing I'd say, I'm out of time, actually, is the Bible convicts, but the Bible also comforts. The Bible also comforts. The Bible's like a, an umbrella that you put over your head in the rain. The Bible comforts you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Bible is like a sword put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what that means is, is the Spirit of God will give you certain words as you read the Word and you hear the Word preached that becomes a sword against the enemy in your life. For me, I went through an incredibly difficult time uh, some years back and it was a very traumatic thing for me and my ministry as well as other people. And I also thought, am I going to make it through this? Some reading in Genesis in my devotions. And one morning I read, and I get to chapter 6, and I'm reading in Genesis, I'm reading uh, about the flood. And the last verse, I think it's in chapter 6, the last verse of that chapter said, And after the great flood, Noah lived 350 years. And after the great flood, Noah lived 350 years. When I read that, the Spirit of God came upon me and came upon that verse. And he said to me, Danny, you're going to survive this flood. And you're going to have a long ministry after this flood. 
How many know that God can give you a word from his word when you need his word to help you get through what you're going through? The Lord is able to sustain us and keep us by his word. And God is a God who keeps his word to his people that he loves. I don't have the picture for you, but the other night I was at my dad's house. My dad, I lost my mom about seven, eight weeks ago. And um, I'm doing some things in the house and I come back into the den and there's my dad sitting in his easy chair with his Bible opened up in front of him reading the word. Sometimes I'll call my dad and I'll say, Dad, how you doing? He said, well, I'm sitting here reading the word. Sitting here reading the word. And his word, the word of God, can get you through any storm you're in. It's convicting. It's comforting. It's useful. God's word is what we need to sustain us in life. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? And uh, ask the Lord to help us as a church to be faithful to the Word. Lord, we want to be people in our, in our community that are faithful to the Word, even when it's hard, even when it, there's heat about it. Help us to be faithful to the Word. Help us to be people of compassion and courage. Help us to be people of truth and love. And help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. We ask you, Lord, to bless us and anoint us as we go into this new week. We thank you for loving us and caring for us. And we thank you that this week is going to be a great week because you're with us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.